Kevin Brummett, my brother and uh, one of our elders, um, has a word. So I'm going to let him come up and, uh, and tell you what God's been teaching him. Okay, let's see here. Can you bring up that Bible verse for us up here? Or actually two verses. Okay. Hope you all can see that. If you will, stand with me as we read from the Word of God. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. You may be seated. Father, I just pray that you will illuminate your word today. Just help us to delve into this and get out of it what you have for us. In Christ's name. All right. Well, first part, as I want to do the commercial part, uh, to let you know this this uh, little message is inspired by a video that I saw uh, that's put out by a ministry called The Bible Project. I don't know if... If, uh, some of you may may have already found it. Some of you may not have found it. Uh, if you want to just look, give it a look. Uh, it's at thebibleproject.com. What they are is it's a, it's a, a couple of guys who were college roommates and good best friends, um, Tim Mackey and John Collins. And Tim Mackey uh, is a Hebrew language and culture ancient Hebrew language and culture specialist. That's kind of what he studied. And John Collins is kind of a media guy. So they combine their talents and they put together these videos. And uh, I, I think they're excellent. Um, they're five to ten minutes a piece, generally bite-sized, easy to sit down and watch. They And they, uh, they their first series was actually going straight through the Bible. You can start with Genesis. In fact, um, uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube, after we get done here, if you like, you can uh, go to YouTube and Doing the search box, the Bible Project Genesis, and that it'll up, up it will pop, and you can start there. It's a good place to start. Um, let's see. All right. So, first question I have for you is: Think of uh, somebody who has had influence in your life. You know, somebody who you consider a mentor, who had who's kind of an authority, somebody who's who you are under. You know, maybe a parent, grandparent, boss, mentor. Uh, drill sergeant, <laughs> you know, whoever you considered that has had influence in your life. And they probably had some important things to teach you, to tell you. How did you know when they had something that was important? Or likewise, when you're trying to get and emphasize something to someone, how do you let them know that what you're telling them is important? Um. First is 
you make sure, they make sure that you have, that they have your attention, right? Um, very often they will use a circumstance, you know, something that has just happened, uh, and they real, they recognize that you're a little bit rattled maybe by it or shook up by it, and they use that teachable moment to speak into your life, right? Or they might repeat the message, you know, they might say it and say it and say it, and then hopefully you'll get the idea that this is important because you keep saying it. Um, they, they, they may get you to repeat it back to them, you know, make sure that you're hearing them, you know, and if they say it enough times, you know, they start to say it and you'll be finishing their sentences for them. Then they know, you know, you've, you've, you've at least heard them, right? Um, then a second way, uh, or the third way would be that they may emphasize the consequences. They may tell you, this is why I'm telling you this, because if you do this, or if you understand this, then these good things will happen. If you don't understand this, or if you ignore this, these bad things will happen. Okay? So those are the ways that a good teacher will make sure that the important message gets conveyed to, to the student. Um, if that's the case, then this message right here is important. And I, we can tell it's important for all those reasons that we just listed. First of all, God, this is uh, just to kind of set up where this is or when this is in the history of, of the Old Testament. This is in Exodus chapter 34. The Israelites are wandering through the, uh, through the wilderness. They've just been, a, been freed from bondage from Egypt. And God has made this covenant with them. They're going to be his people. He's going to be their God. And these are the terms of the covenant. And they all say, yeah, we're on board, God. Let's do this. And when Moses went up the mountain to kind of sign the contract to, you know, to, to ratify this covenant, they're down, they're breaking the covenant already. I mean, from the, from the outset, num, uh, laws number one and two, they're already trashing them, you know. And so when Moses comes down, you know the story. You've seen it on the Ten Commandments probably. It, you know, the judgment is 3,000 people die for breaking this covenant. And so here's, here's Moses like, what do we do now? You know, uh, You've given us this law. You've given us. You've told us the terms. We obviously can't keep them. Now what, God? And this is God's answer to him. In fact, the, the question Moses asks is: um, Is God? Let's see. It's in chapter thirty-three. There it is. Please show me now your ways that I may know you. See, he's listening. God knows he's listening now, right? So here's a teachable moment. Moses is wondering, what kind of God are you? Because you have to remember, they just came out of Egypt. They've been there for 400 years under the influence of Egypt's society and their gods and all that. And they they know what the Egyptians got. They remember a little something about the promises God made to their people, to, to their ancestors, to Abraham. But But they've got all this trash that they've picked up being in Egypt, you see. And so... Moses is like, we don't know how to be your people. Show us. And so God, this is, this is God, this is God's answer to that. In fact, if you'll remember, God puts Moses, he says, you can't look at me face to face because nobody can see me face to face and live. Well, what I'll do when you come up the mountain is I'll put you in a crevice and I'll cover your face with my hand and I will pass by in front of you. You know, you think Moses wants to know 
what God's eye color is and if he's, if he's got a beard? No. What he wants to know is what's God's character. What are you like? How do we avoid this tragedy again? You know, what, how do we be your people? That's, that's the question he's answering. All right. He repeats this. In fact, according to the Bible project, the video that I was telling you about to start with, this is the most repeated verses in the whole scripture. Multiple times, 20, 30 times or more, this is repeated or alluded to in the Torah, in the Psalms, in the histories, in the prophets, and in the New Testament. So it's a repeated message taught at a very critical time. It's important. And then God's very clear about what he's going to do or what happens if you do and what happens if you don't. It's all there. So when we look, uh, whenever you're looking at scripture and you're trying to get, you know, everything out of it that you can, one way of doing it, and I think it's a good way, is, is to ask three questions. First of all, just what do the words say? What, what does this mean? These are sentences. They mean something. What do they mean? Secondly, what did it mean to the people who received this message at the time? You know, so put it in context because that will open up a little bit more of the meaning to you. And then the third question to ask, of course, is, what does it mean to me? What can it mean to us? So we'll, we'll, we'll address those three right quick. At first look, you might say, well, there's a contradiction here. Because let's look at the first part of this passage. Uh, God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness to the thousands and who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But look at the last part. He does not, by no means, leaves the guilty unpunished. Visiting their iniquity, or the results of their iniquity, on their children and their children's children down to the third and fourth generation. So, is God merciful or is God vengeful? <laughs> is, uh, is God the loving God or is God an angry God? And it seems like there may be a contradiction there. But the key to realizing that um, it's not actually, actually a contradiction is one single word. It's about three-fourths of the way down. Yet. Yet. Yet is a conjunction that means nevertheless. In spite of this, this is true. So it's saying this is true, and although this might seem like a contradiction, this is also true. That's the yet. Okay? So... Here God is teaching them about himself. He's saying, I am a loving God. I am a patient God. I am a merciful God. Yet, I will not let iniquities go unpunished. Okay, so, hmm. Well, that meant something to those people. (laughs) That meant something because they had just seen it happen. They had just seen what happened when they broke this covenant. 3,000 of their Six million, seven million, however many there were traveling, just died because of this. So this was painful. This was, this was, you know, they, they, they saw the consequences and it did not seem good at the time. But you have to remember, or that, that God has envisioned the long game. God's plan is to save the world through his people. This is a promise he made to Abraham, 
some several hundred years ago, and this is a promise that he's keeping now. Now, he demonstrated his power, first of all, over all the Egyptian gods, and he demonstrated his loving kindness to them by saving them from bondage, right? So he has their attention. They've just been freed by this God, by these incredible acts of power. They are wowed by him, and yet they just don't know how to be like him. They don't know how to be his people yet. And so he's he's like, this is the covenant. This is what I'm going to do. I'm giving you these laws. I'm teaching you how to be my people. And I will save. But I will also exact justice. Now, that sometimes doesn't feel good. But it is good. Um, think of... Uh, Let's go ahead and move to what this means to us. I'll ask you a question. Is God, is God good? All the time? Who said that? <laughs> all, is God good all the time? Does that feel good all the time? No, it does not. No. So we wrestle with these questions. Why this? If, you know, if God is good, why, why, why do we have this pandemic? If God is good, why did he take my child? If God is good, why do I have cancer? You know, we, we wrestle with these things. And when you're dealing with someone who's in the middle of that, it's easy to just say God is good all the time. But holding on to that, when those hard times come, that's where the challenge is. And sometimes when you're dealing, you're, you're dealing with someone who's in the middle of that, it may not help. Just to say God is good all the time. It's okay for them to question, ask those questions, in fact. I mean, look at some of the best people uh, in history that we have a record of. Um, the Bible says that, in fact, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the best who had ever come. John the Baptist questioned that. Oh, yeah, I'm in prison. I'm about to lose my head here. Are you the one we're really waiting for? Is this, is, this really, is this really God's plan here? He asked the question. Jesus himself when he was facing what he knew what was coming, said, can you take this cup away from me? This looks rough. And yet he was able and willing to accept, you know, God's will because it was, because he knew that his father was good. Okay. All right. Well, like Israel, our lives are, are, are very much like that. Uh, I think it's James Ryle, one of his sayings that he, he used to like to say was, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. You know, there's, we got, we've got these rough edges, we've got these rotten spots, and they need to be cleaned out. And sometimes it takes a rough patch. It takes a trial. Or it may even take um, a little discipline on the, act, on, on the part of God or God acting through someone else for us to get rid of those things. And so if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to be willing to accept those those times. Um, God has made a provision for all our mistakes, so that's the good part. That's the good message. One more quote. Os Guinness says that Christianity is the only religion whose God bears the scars of evil. So... That's the thing. Yeah, you're going to mess up. The lie is, okay, well, God will forgive me so it doesn't matter. 
That's what this is addressing. It does matter. It matters. I mean, you're going to suffer the consequences of bad actions. Your children and your children's children may suffer the consequences of bad actions. But God says, my son has borne the punishment for that. And so I will save. And if you want to be my people, then act like my people and act like my son. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much. Let's all stand back up. We're going to have a few more songs of worship and... Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. Darkness fails, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail.
something that you would like for us to pray for, um, feel free. Come down and um, if uh, if you would like prayer, if you have uh, something you'd like to share. When uh, Cindy and I were uh, young and childless, which is many moons ago and hard to remember, um, we attended Ray Stedman's church, Peninsula Bible Church in the Bay Area. That name probably didn't mean a lot to you, but he was a great Bible teacher. He also was a great pastor. And one of the things his church practiced was something called body life, where he would just basically hand the microphone off and the microphone would pass through the congregation. It would start at one end and you would pass it down the road. If you wanted to say something, you said something. If you didn't, you just passed it on to the next person. So we'll open this right now for you to come as God moves you. If you have a need, if you have a thanksgiving, if you have a praise, if you have a testimony, um... The only thing I would ask as a matter of protocol is we're trying not to touch the mic. Um, just in the, um, the reasonable precaution um, era and um, keeping a good, safe social distance from each other and uh, trying to be thoughtful and reasonable and a little bit cautious. So if you'd like to come forward with something to share, come now. him this is my very best friend Anne, and we've been best friends for over 40 years she's influenced me in my walk with the lord so much and i thank god for her we've been through a lot together but we've always been there for each other and she's my prayer warrior and i love her with all my heart and i thank god for her and i'm so happy that she's here with me today
I'd just like to say I'm thankful that we have such a good church, good elders, good deacons, and good people. What else could you ask for?
was just reading in um, Matthew 21. And Jesus says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. He's talking, uh, uh, mentioning a couple of different different places in scripture, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, where it talks about your house will be called the house of prayer. And um, so I don't know how many of you know, but every Sunday morning, maybe 10 minutes before the service starts, um, several of us are back there at the cross behind you. And we're just praying. We pray for today. We prayed for everybody on stage. We prayed for our pastor. We prayed for our country. We prayed for our leaders, our president, all the way down to our governor and local officials. And I just want to encourage all of you, uh, we'll make room back there. We can move those chairs. And um, there's several people several months ago that God put that heavy on their heart to do. I was one of them, several other people that are probably watching right now. So come join us. Um, Let's make this a house of prayer. Um, Come expectant. And when you walk in these doors, just start to pray. And if you get here early enough, come visit us back at the cross and uh, we'll we'll pray some more. Um, You know, the scripture says to continually be in prayer, Paul says, without ceasing. Um, That's a challenge for anybody. But um, so I just want to encourage you with those words. Um, I just wanted to share um, something I learned yesterday Um, we have a men's Bible study that meets on Saturday morning and I encourage any of you men who want to get up on Saturday morning come join us we meet at Courtney's at um, 8 o'clock actually some of the guys come at 7 and have breakfast and fellowship and then we sit down at, at 8 and read scripture and talk about it for about an hour we've been doing the book of Ezekiel and I confess I have not studied Ezekiel before uh, the group asked us to do it together. So we got to the uh, the 40s. It's about 48 chapters. So we've been at it for uh, six months or so. And the 40s is about six chapters of building specifications. It's the measurements of um, the vision of the temple. And I'm, you know, I, I have prayed to God several times going, God, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I, I don't, I don't, because you know, it's all cubits. It's this many cubits and this many cubits and this many cubits high and this many cubits wide. And it's like, but it has been the most astonishing weeks of discussion as we have talked about that. I have to give you a little bit of background. Ezekiel is writing as an exile. Ezekiel is writing, living not in Israel, not in Jerusalem. He's been taken prisoner. He's a captive. He's in Babylon and God gives him visions. And he performs some of the visions rather than proclaims them. He acts out some things. But the book recounts when he was taken captive, Jerusalem still stood. The temple still stood. Nebuchadnezzar had tried to take Jerusalem the first time and failed, but he had taken a number of captives with him when his army went back to Babylon. So while Ezekiel is in exile, Nebuchadnezzar goes back to Jerusalem, lays siege to it again, and this time he succeeds. The walls are breached. The city is conquered. The temple is destroyed. And Ezekiel describes the moment when they got the word from Jerusalem. That Jerusalem had fallen and the temple had been destroyed. And then several years pass. He's still a captive. He's still in exile. And he gets another vision. In the vision, God takes him up on a high mountain and shows him a new temple. 
and it's huge. It's about 900 feet square. It's about 20 acres. The building is huge, and it's described in great detail. Never been built, by the way. When they rebuilt the temple after they returned, they didn't build it to the plans of Ezekiel's vision. That temple's not been built yet. John in Revelations picks up Ezekiel's temple and uses that image. He uses some of the same measurements, by the way. It's pretty clear John has read Ezekiel, and it's in his mind when he's describing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the new temple. Anyway, but something struck me yesterday. Um, he, Ezekiel hears God talking as he sees this vision, almost sort of like, you know, from, a, from an aerial perspective. God says, this will be my dwelling place. The souls of my feet will be here. The glory, my glory will fill the temple. I will be with my people Israel, and they will all be gathered together. And then he says something. This is the astonishing phrase that I don't think I've ever heard anybody else um, talk about. Probably they have. I just never noticed. God says the whole temple mount, all 20 acres of it, is most holy. Except that phrase in the ESV doesn't really do it justice. Uh, what the ESV translates as most holy is Kodesh Kodeshim. Kodesh is holy. Kodesh Kodeshim is holy of holies. So in the vision, the voice of God tells Ezekiel what this vision means. He says, it's not just that little room at the end of a temple. It's the whole 20-acre walled complex. And you know what's inside the 20-acre walled complex? The outermost walled area that you come into if you were visiting the temple in Ezekiel's plan or else. It's in the book of Acts. It's called the court of the Gentiles. And God has just pronounced the whole 20-acre complex, including the court of the Gentiles, is holy of holies because his presence is there. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree His body bound and drenched in tears He laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed Messiah still and all alone Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God Oh, praise His name for
when we were only online I found difficult I'm glad to be able to join with my brothers and sisters and worship and pray together and see your smiling faces um, it was nice to see the Mayberry residents on the first couple of rows for a few weeks but um, that wore off it's much nicer to see real live people here sitting in the chairs um, let me give us a blessing and, and uh, a benediction and then the worship team will uh, will lead us out with one final praise song so May the God who is able to do far above and beyond all that we can think or imagine give you peace, bless your steps, guide you, and make you a light to the nations. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming out. Have a blessed Sunday. God bless you guys.